is the Movie Hall of Fame for Thursday, January 16th, 2020, class of 2009 edition. Mm-hmm. Adam Hall, what's up? How are you? I'm okay. We're back. Yeah, we are. Uh, this is the first time we have done a movie year since mid-November. It's been a while. Yeah, I noticed that. It's been way too long. 1994 was the last year we broke down. So, Oh, God. We may have to scrape the rust off. Shit. And get back into the swing of things. That was really the last one that we did? Yeah, because we have been doing reviews on, like, The Irishman. <laughs> um, we had to catch up on our movies, I forgot, because we saw so many friggin' movies. Yeah, we did the Bombach podcast. Yeah, that's right. Uh, which, <laughs> I got a shout out at Trivia Night last week. That was so weird. I, I, <laughs> I get very confused. Like, I always have to remind myself, like, wait, how is this happening? And then I'm like, oh, wait, Joe listens to us. Yeah. Gen- gen- genuinely cares about our opinions. Right. Well, Joe does. I didn't think anyone else did. I just assumed it. So we go to Trivia Night most every week. Um, and one of the teams that always goes with us and always beats us. Um, there was, <laughs> came up to me after the thing, um, and, and uh, the guy goes to me, uh, hey, thanks for doing that Noah Bombach yeah. podcast. I would not have gotten the answer to the Noah Bombach question correct had it not been for your show. And I think maybe he was exaggerating a bit. I'm sure he could have pulled that out of his ass at some <laughs> point. But uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a weird thing. Got some fans. Our enemies, Well, though. listeners. I don't call them fans. Well, the <laughs> fan is short for fanatic. I don't like that. However, you kind of have to be a fanatic in order to listen to this, right? I mean, this is pretty sick stuff. This is like the bowels of podcast lore here that we sit in. <laughs> if you fi- if you come across us, turn around and, and go the other way. We're not seriously. even in the basement. We're in like the sewage pipe yeah, underneath yeah, the we're basement. In, we're in the shadow realm, right. really, is where we are. So, And once you come in, you can't get out. No, no. You cross the event horizon, you are done. Right. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, so we're talking about the movies of 2009 today. But first, I want to talk about the year 1917. <laughs> well, let's talk about it. It was a, it was somewhat prosperous. You know, we were <laughs> the economy was booming. Yeah, yeah, we were doing okay. Yeah, yeah, there was some crime, you know, but it was all right. Yeah, uh, was uh, was booze legal in 1917? Ooh, uh, when was prohibition? Probably somewhere around that, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't, th- I think it was legal actually. Okay, I want to say it was legal. So people were getting drunk and yeah. women could vote no i don't think they could vote yet no dude it was around that time (laughs) so it was a great time um what if we had like done the movies of 1917 (laughs) in honor of 1917 the movie see i've probably seen a few films from 1917 buster keaton shit yeah yeah maybe some chaplin chaplin's always good the general i fucking love chaplin films do you yeah i do i don't think i've ever seen one oh they're so much fun city lights yeah really good Mm. the kid is my favorite yeah. Yeah. Dude. So is that Chaplin or is that, uh, yeah, that's Chaplin on front of the train in that movie. Is it's, that the general? Or no, where he does like the flips on the front of the train, but he's actually on a train. Ooh. It's not modern times, is it, dude? Oh, no, I don't think it is. Hmm. I don't know. I'm bad with this shit. Yeah, he's I'm done a lot of silent movies. movies. Well, he's done a lot of movies, though. So, yeah. Um,. No, we're not doing that. We're talking about the movie 1917. <laughs> oh, yeah. The year the year 1917. Oh, yeah. Which I saw, by the way. Yes, me too. Uh, so, and you love this movie, right? Yeah, I fucking love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I've talked glowingly about it on the other podcast, and how I was like, there you go. That That's how you do a war movie. Yeah. I was waiting for like a, like a really, really great one for a while, one that actually 
displayed it properly, wasn't exploitative, but actually asked a lot of interesting questions. One that my talking about my brother about it uh, was was actually kind of fascinating as well. Where it's like because I he didn't see the movie, but I told him all about it and the way these uh, soldiers talk about what they're doing and their feelings about like going home or their feelings about their fellow troops. And he's like, yeah, that's what it is, man. Yeah, that's what it is. It's, it, it's cold as fuck and some, and it's hard on you and you, you lose a lot of yourself and coming home is not fun no matter how hard you, you know, try to tell yourself what it is. And yeah, man, <laughs> he's just very like, like distant from it all. But he was like, it was nice to hear him. It's nice to hear that perspective of it talking about this movie, because I was like, that is such an interesting idea. I was saying that like every other scene and I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. I wonder if it's like fairly accurate. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure it. I mean, there's a movie that is on this list today that has a similar theme mm-hmm. and it's about war. Um, yeah, I uh, so I saw it on, on Monday um, and, you know, I went into it with like my own biases and shit and I expected to like it fine, but not be blown away by it and be outraged at the fact that Sam Mendes is going to win Best Director at the Oscars. Uh, and I didn't walk out of there with that feeling. I, I actually I, I wouldn't say I was pleasantly surprised, but I, I get what everybody is seeing in it. I, I'm not going to put it at that tier of like Parasite and Once Upon a Time and Marriage Story and Uncut Gems. Like to me, that top five or six is unassailable. Um, but it's a it's a really impressive feat. I don't know how it holds up on a rewatch. <laughs> That's what I'm going to be curious about. Yeah, and I think like they've sort of painted themselves into the corner with the single take thing. And I have a feeling that it's going to age in the same way a movie like Gravity aged, uh-huh. which is impressive technical achievement stunning theatrical experience but then once you put it on fx on a saturday weekend it's not as entertaining and there's not as much for you as you saw in the first take you know what i'm saying maybe i don't i don't know though again a lot of but because i i think i always ask those questions with movies like this i certainly asked that question about dunkirk yeah and um yeah i don't know the thing that like made me a little more confident in this one is just like those the story of those characters yeah and sort of really like, good performances oh too. yeah tommen oh, yeah. from game of thrones <laughs> that guy <laughs> throwing high heat yeah that guy <laughs> <laughs> but love i love him but i love the the journey of these characters and i actually love uh sort of where the story chooses to go i mean i didn't expect uh the movie to kind of leave you with the the, the george mckay whoever that character's name is i don't know that I, don't, I don't think they actually tell you oh will that was his name okay will yeah i was like oh yeah that was actually uh a, a, a pretty pretty good surprise and they they played it up uh, quite nicely and it's i don't know it's really emotionally impactful and endearing and uh I, I don't know i just think it's a nice powerful journey so if you can at least uh, appreciate what these characters are going through i think it holds up fairly well or at least i hope it would hold up fairly well the single take thing is tough though and i kept thinking about birdman as i was watching the movie because birdman has a similar gimmick in that you can't see any noticeable cuts but the movie does do time jumps mm-hmm. and like there will be times where the camera pans to the sky and then the sun sets and the moon rises yep and so first of all there there are a few shortcuts that that movie takes but also the script is like that and the thing about birdman which makes it totally different from this movie is that it's trying to simulate the feeling of a play So all of the turns, all of the dramatic beats are on the page Mm -hmm. and not on the screen. And when you make a movie that's action oriented, the edit means a lot. Like where you point the camera and where you decide to hold and where you decide to move Mm -hmm. 
is, is really the driving engine of that story. Um, and so I can't say it worked for me entirely. There were some <laughs> moments where I thought, oh, would have been nice if we could cut right here. Yeah. You know, would have been nice if we could just take out this two minutes and Sam Mendes doesn't have that luxury because in post-production, there's no safety net. No. Nope. You have to leave every moment that you shot in the final product. Essentially. Yeah. So I appreciate the feat and I respect the job that he did. And I think that he did an excellent job behind the camera. Um, again, I don't think it's quite at the level everybody's putting it at, but I <laughs> still really enjoyed the movie and I don't want to sell it short. Yeah. And I don't want to be a curmudgeon about it. Don't be a curmudgeon about it because it's a great film. Nico. It's a very, 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 very good, movie. good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, personal gripes with that, I guess that's just a taste thing, because it's like, yeah, okay, fine. I don't really care one way or another if anyone has certain gripes with it. I heard one say that it was, like, very, like, like, like fluffy and, like, pandering, and I was like, what? Oh, I didn't think that was the case at all. No, I mean, I was like, it's, it, and they're saying it's, like, really, uh, uh, like, like, cheesy and over the top. I'm like, no, what? please. It was very strange, yeah, and I'm like. How about when the guy is crawling over the dead bodies in the river, mm-hmm. or when he's with the rats in the. In yep. the bunker it's oh, like it's, come on this is not a pulpy or this is not a, like a fluffy fucking no. war movie at all well if, if anything's like uh gonna like keep this movie at like 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 a high degree of rewatchability it's the details yeah which are just stunning in this movie i mean i was just picking up on like hundreds of them as i'm as i'm watching it and just I, it, it's it's he fills the frame for oh sure oh my god like when i mean it's 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 hard not to like like give them an applause for that when they they decide where every single like like second is going to matter yeah and in terms of trying to inform the audience of the world that they're in or what these characters have to deal with yeah i i just found it deeply compelling you know i don't know i'm movies like this are very interesting because you're right like naturally i'm kind of like how is this going to play right on a rewatch you know but i i can tell you like as it stood for that first watch i'm like yep yep pretty, and that is great. something that is something sometimes we put a little too much stake in the rewatchability like Sometimes the experience is supposed to be in the theater and then you leave and that's what you remember fondly. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all movies are rounders that are, you know, that's <laughs> built for like 20 rewatches on HBO. I know. And that's okay. That's fine. Um, I tend to gravitate, gravitate towards stuff that's a little more dialogue heavy and a little more tight and yeah, consistent. But uh, that's okay. You like, I like it. You I like, like it. You like Dunkirk more than this, don't you? I do. I do. Mm. I do. <laughs> <laughs> there's a movie that does not hold up on rewatch hey to break it to you i do i've actually seen it now like two or three times because it's on hbo a lot yeah i've rewatched i'm like uh-uh. doesn't work okay that's fine i love fucking george on the boat man why i'm the only man in america that stands up for george on the boat for where do you where do you going pl- to war george where, but where do you plant your feet to be like yes i i feel for you man dude i love the fucking idea that this guy went to battle for his country and died on a fucking staircase that just moves me there's a cheesy idea <laughs> stop it you, stop i'm a little more moved when this guy literally crosses Every death-defying thing you could imagine, and then his higher-up just says "fuck off" at the end. Yeah, that, that <laughs> seems pretty good. I was like, "Yes, seems pretty dope. <laughs> That is Cumberbatch. Great. How great's Andrew Scott at the beginning too? The the guy oh, that's yeah. like the drunk. I love that character. Yeah, yeah. It's it's good. Nice to see a, a war movie with a bunch of characters. And also the yeah. shot at the end of him just sprinting through the battlefield. Oh, it's great. One of those things where it's like, how did they do this? Oh no, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. But you could it, it's it's done for real though. Yeah. But honestly, one of my favorite shots in the movie is honestly like the way it begins where they they start on those flowers and he's just sitting by the tree and then the way they um 
um re- reveal the, the 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 war zone oh yeah and how it's just like it's really nice and then you go into the the trenches and it's all this mechan not really mechanical but all this man-made stuff and it just feels like the earth has been raped yeah it's just i love that 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 natural transition because that's actually what it would have been like sure it's just really really interesting oh me. it gives you a sense of it and it's not particularly boring i mean there are a few, no. again there are a few moments that you might cut out but as a whole it's like Wow, we're going to walk through the entire fucking trench, mm-hmm. and it is like a little city in this field yeah. with just these men laying in shit. <laughs> yep. I think the, the maybe the issue is that if, if Roger Deakins is your cinematographer, you don't dare cut any of his shots. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah Deakins is, really should be getting more credit here. Mm-hmm. This is like a, the tour de force. This is the pinnacle of Deakins' career, I yep. think. Well, it's very good. Yeah. It's very good. Okay. Then let's uh, move on, shall we? Mm-hmm. 2009. Let's do it. Uh, the nominees for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame are Fantastic Mr. Fox, A Serious Man, Inglorious Bastards, The Hangover, Avatar, and The Hurt Locker. Highest grossing movie of that year, of course, Avatar, followed by Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs, oh, God. <laughs> Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen. And 2012. Damn. Bunch what of, an age. Bunch of garbage. What a year. 2009. Love it, though. I'll, I'll uh, round out the top 10 for you. Up at number six, <laughs> The Twilight Saga New Moon at number seven, Sherlock Holmes at number eight, Angels and Demons number nine, The Hangover number 10. What a sad, sad, sad year for box office. To be 13 again, Adam Hall. Oh, boy. To go back to 2009, the year of our Lord. <laughs> Why do you always say the year of our Lord? What does that have to do with I anything? I don't know, man. Such fucking bullshit in the box office, yeah, though. My Lord. Uh, Hurt Locker wins Best Picture among a, a crowd of 10 nominees. Uh, this is, I think, the first year they increased the number from 5 to 10, correct? Yeah, because it's after 2008 and that whole debacle. Right. You have Avatar, The Blind Side, District 9, and Education, and Glorious Bastards. Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire, my favorite film title of all time. A Serious Man, Up, and Up in the Air. Catherine Bigelow wins Best Director for The Hurt Locker. Jeff Bridges wins Best Actor for Crazy Heart. Mm-hmm. Sandra Bullock wins Best Actress for The Blind Side. Christoph Waltz wins Best Supporting Actor for Inglorious Bastards, and Monique wins Best Supporting Actress for Precious. Cool. Some honorable mentions for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like Up in the Air. Have you seen it? Not all of it. Okay. I really like it. It's one of my favorite Reitman movies, I think. Well, I catch it on TV a lot. I never just like sit down and watch it. Yeah. Clooney's really good in it. It's a good story. It's about like a guy that... like. Uh, his job is to fire people for a living. <laughs> and so he just goes around the country firing people. That's weird. Yeah. And then uh, he meets this woman at an airport. And yeah, it's a, yeah, it's really good. I won't spoil anything. Raymond just makes a bunch of movies where on the paper just seem like the most boring goddamn stories. Yeah. But like he actually knows how to make them fairly interesting. I feel like every movie he's ever made, if, if you were to pitch that to me, I'd be like, don't make a movie about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the front runner is not that good. Oh. I will say that. Never saw, well, never saw the front runner. Yeah, Hugh Jackman, Wolf, <laughs> Gary Hart, also Ghostbusters three. Not too excited about that one. Well, he's Jason. Oh, is he doing that? Yeah. Oh, carrying the reins for his father. Interesting. Have okay. you seen the trailers? Yeah. Yeah, it just looks like Stranger Things meets Ghostbusters. Yeah. A lot of shots of farms. 
Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Out. <laughs> uh, JJ Star Trek came out that year. Uh, we're going to gloss over that one. Uh, Zombieland. Uh, whatever. I like Zombieland and Star Trek. Uh, okay. Precious. 500 Days of Summer. You seen? 500 Days of Summer? Yeah. I absolutely adore 500 Days of Summer. You know, I've never seen it. Yeah. Dude, it's genius. Jogo? Fucking love that movie. Genius. Yeah. Okay. The Blind Side, <laughs> uh, I, I ride for The Blind Side. I like it quite a bit. I know people don't like it, but whatever. It's a great cable movie. <laughs> Fucking great cable I, movie. I, I like it a lot. Uh, are you a Coraline fan? Never seen it. Okay. The Informant? Soderbergh? Damon? Boring. How dare you? Yeah, it's kind of boring, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Crazy Heart, I said, great performance. That's such a great movie. Uh, Funny People is pretty good. Yeah, it's, uh, it's underrated, yeah. I would say. Yeah. It's not funny at all, but <laughs> yeah. it's actually really depressing. But yeah, but yeah it's, it, I think it's, uh, if you understand going into it, like, don't treat it like a comedy with Adam Sandler in it, because that's not what it is. Right. Even it's one of the it. first movies where it's like, oh, yeah, Adam Sandler has something there. Yeah, I agree. I like um, that. I like them go make grown-ups too <laughs> unfortunately uh, sure fuck <laughs> you know it's so weird man it's like his career is just fascinating sometimes it really is yeah like by the way he was kind of snubbed for yeah after, wasn't he yeah i thought so too i was like what yeah and that's un- it's really upsetting actually jonathan price for the two popes let me tell you is not at the caliber of sandler it's like if if like at least nominate someone who has a chance of winning yeah you know it's like jonathan price is not winning anything i know it's just eh. lifetime achievement nomination. Stupid. Yeah. Uh, it's so weird though. Cause like normally we do movie years from before we were born or before we were like conscious of, of the movies that came out. But yeah. this one is so late. Like I have fond memories of seeing a lot of these in theaters. Yeah. That includes Paul Blart mall cop, uh, which I remember being like a pretty big movie when it came out. I don't know if you have the same reaction. I kind of do. And I was like really like flabbergasted by it, Cause I just thought it looked like shit. See, I loved it when it came out. Oh, yeah? I haven't seen it, like, in years, though, and I assume it probably sucks. It is, yeah. <laughs> I think Bobby Cannavale is in it. It's weird. Who cares, man? Uh, Michael Jackson's This Is It, I also saw in the theater in 2009. I didn't. I haven't seen that one. The concert documentary? It was, like, right after he died. Uh, I like it quite a bit. Uh, Antichrist came out that year. Did it? Uh-huh. Why didn't we nominate that one? Good point. Um <laughs> enough uh podcast airtime has been devoted to that movie i think for the end of time too much uh, i love in the loop the armando and ianucci uh satire political satire it, it's the crew behind veep that wrote that one. Oh, super funny okay and super quick-witted um also they worked on the death of stalin oh i like i like the death of stalin a lot yeah you would like in the loop quite a bit all right, all right. it's hilarious it's really really good um moon moon is pretty dope Two Sam Rockwells? Two mm-hmm. Sam Rockwells. Many Sam Rockwells. That's a good point. A lot of Lots Sam Rockwells. Lots of Sam Rockwells. I don't understand the, that movie at all, but I enjoy it. <laughs> yep. uh, Up could have made the cut. I think it's top seven or eight Pixar. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I I think it's like a hair overrated. Really? I like it a lot, but a lot of what the movie, a lot of like the love for the movie is seriously elevated by that first like five minutes. Yeah. Because I've because I, I've seen the movie, of course, and I even when I first saw it, I was like, "Yeah, the five minutes is great. The rest of the movie is just like it's just re- good. It's like really, really good." Yeah, but the shit with the dog is a little stupid. It's like, come on, guys, is it really like a perfect movie? Like, ah. yeah, I think once the the 
house goes into the air. Mm-hmm. I think that's when it kind of takes a step down. Yeah. But everything before that, all the exposition is just outstanding. It's the same music from the Japanese film Haosu, by the way. What? It really throws me off because I because uh, well, I'd seen up before House, and then I heard House, or I'd watched House, and I heard the music, and I was like, "That's the music from up." It's the same music. Yeah, pretty much. What do you mean, pretty much? Is it the same music, or is it not the same music? It's nearly identical to me. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah it's it's essentially the same thing in, in House, except it's slowed down. It's like dun 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. You'll, you'll see it when we... I can't wait. When You'll be like, oh, God. <laughs> Very off, off-putting. Yeah. My God. Uh, and District 9 barely missed the cut, too. We're waiting. Yeah, we're going to talk about that on a later one, right? Yeah, we so, are locked and loaded for that podcast. A movie I really like, but I don't hold, hold back criticism. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a movie that... Well, we'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe... We'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, let's talk Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yep. Wes Anderson directs, based on the novel by Roald Dahl, uh, screenplay co-written by Noah Baumbach. I'm going to forget about that detail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, dude. Nominated for Best Original <laughs> Score and Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. Stars uh, some names you've never heard of, including George Clooney, Meryl Streep, Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray, Willem Dafoe, and Owen Wilson. <laughs> Fucking Meryl Streep is playing a fox. Yeah, uh, man. <laughs> and her bane fox cannot resist returning to his farm, raiding ways, and then must help his community survive the farmer's retaliation. Uh, you nominated this one, so have at it. It's my favorite animated film. What? I love every... What every, did you just say? It's my favorite animated what film. What did you just say? So, of course, I'm going to nominate it. It's too early in the fucking podcast for this. <laughs> Stop. This movie's awesome. Oh, my God. This movie's so good. It's so much fun, man. I love every little detail. I love the animation and all the characters. And the story is so, like... It's funny because it's a kid's movie, but constantly i'm like this is too too much for kids this is too ridiculous they're they're drinking cider and getting drunk and shooting foxes with guns and blowing tails off and i'm like what the fuck is going on it's just like so like out there and like oddly surreal but i i also love raw doll so that helps and i i i quite like that that little novella it's more like a novella it's fucking short um and I just think this is a great adaptation as well. And I, I've seen this movie like hundreds of times. Hundreds? I Yeah, I love it. If this movie's on, it's the only thing we're watching. My It's it's something like my parents are like, oh my God, like I'll come home and they'll be watching it. It's just it's just perfect. And it's oddly quotable in my household. And I just, I, I can't get enough of this movie. It's my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Okay, wow. All right. Um <laughs> Favorite animated movie of all time. Yeah, I like this one more than Toy Story. That's what we're going with. I don't care if it's not yours. I don't give a shit about what you think. <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> all right. Let me let me make my thoughts explicitly clear. Um, I this is not a bad movie. Uh, this is actually quite a good movie. Okay. Um, I am not the biggest Wes Anderson fan. Yada yada yada. No. We've heard this all before. Um, However, every Wes Anderson movie should be this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> every movie <laughs> moonrise kingdom should not exist grand budapest hotel should not exist every wes anderson movie should be a fucking motion 
capture cartoon or mm-hmm. whatever stop motion animation cartoon mm-hmm. because all of his movies are cartoons even if they're in live action mm-hmm. the way he frames his shots the way the characters move the way they talk the way they interact everything is a quirky drawing in Wes Anderson land Accurate. so you might as well make the characters out of clay yep right they these clay foxes are as real as any character in the life aquatic yeah you have know you seen the life aquatic <laughs> yes i have my no bombach wrote it you you uh, yeah how was that experience for you not good i be, i don't yeah. care for it i don't care for it wow i missed out on watching jesus christ i wish i was there for that experience. i do not like i only watched it because noah bombach wrote it it's just because his his name is in the credit so i had to be a completionist i mean i really like that movie but like <laughs> you really like the life aquatic oh, fuck yeah i like life aquatic oh, jesus <laughs> what a what a kooky movie <laughs> to say the least but wow that's about as far removed from nico as you could possibly get <laughs> that would have oh i wish i was there for that <laughs> So anyway, yeah, this is all that he should be. He should just be an animator from here on out, like or just like draw Sunday morning cartoons. If I'm Wes Anderson, because I am not interested in him directing real actors in a real space. <laughs> um, yep. That being said, I have always found it very confusing when you have a fox as your character, an animated fox, sort of like your criticism with a, with a lot of like sci-fi movies, like make them move like cartoon characters. Uh-huh. You know, use this medium. Use this space, use this opportunity you've been provided. And I always found it a little disappointing when you have foxes in this beautifully animated world moving like boring people move that that don't like inhabit the space that, you know, that cartoon characters are capable of inhabiting. You know, that that's just always bothered me. OK, let me ask you a quick question. How do foxes move when when in real life? Well, they don't talk in real life either. Yeah. How do foxes move? And did, did they did, do foxes wear clothes and talk and no, sit I, down on desks? No, and, I'm with you entirely. Did, you're, you're, no, that's you're not, what, to make no, that's not what I'm asking for. No, you you, you misunderstand. No, I don't. You're wrong. No, you misunderstand. <laughs> I don't want them in to. What, move. No. In what way is this not animated for an animal? The, there are scenes in this movie with animals sitting I mean. at a dinner table. You misunderstand. Fucking putting on bandit hats and fighting human beings. You misunderstand. And launching burnt pine cones at these people riding motorcycles. Okay. What are you talking I was about? Not, I was not prepared. Bugs to, Bunny. I was. I was not prepared to have this fight today. But we're going to have this fight today. <laughs> I'm not saying I want the fox to move like foxes. I'm saying I want the foxes to move like Bugs Bunny or the Road Runner or Wiley e. Coyote. I want them to fall off of cliffs, but hang in the air for like five seconds. Yeah. I want this to look like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I want more. But I don't want the foxes to move like people or else they wouldn't be fucking foxes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if we're going to make foxes talk, make them move like cartoon characters. I would say if you're, t- you're, you're making foxes move like human beings, you are making them behave like cartoon characters i mean how do you describe brian from family guy no i that's a yeah, no, cartoon I, I, character i i understand what you're dude saying. it's enough i don't care it's <laughs> it, it is enough for a fox to be wearing a fucking suit to be reading a newspaper and just being like oh did you read the gazette today okay i don't uh, this and, is you and your hipster shit you find that amusing yes, i don't find that amusing i don't find dogs at a poker table playing poker with visors on amusing i've never yeah. found that funny mm-hmm. I want the animal to move like a cartoon character. 
I want Bugs Bunny to stick his hand in Elmer Fudd's gun and for yep. it to explode in his face. This isn't Chuck Jones, man. This is like... I, clearly it's not this, Chuck this, Jones. This is fucking Wallace and Gromit. Oh, it's so quirky and amusing. Oh, it's so clever. They don't use curse words. They use the word cuss. <laughs> you don't like the Wallace and Gromit show? No. Oh, I've no. Never li- I've oh. never liked Ron- Wallace and Gromit. I fucking love Wallace and I Gromit. I saw it when I was a kid. I didn't get it. I swear to God, I watched that movie. The, whichever one that, that the oh. Academy went crazy for, what? it was like in 2006, whatever it was Curse of the Were-Rabbit yes maybe I saw that one I'm like yeah best animated film of the year I didn't fucking get it I'm like why <laughs> why is this dog moving like a person oh man oh man make him move like Scooby-Doo <laughs> You're, it's a cartoon. Scooby Doo moves more like an actual dog. <laughs> I want extra. I want more. I don't want l- more. Is more in animation, not less. This is pretty much more, man. <laughs> there's more, and then there's fucking more, and that's Chuck Jones, and that's Into the Spider Verse. That's what I want. I want SpongeBob. <laughs> that's what I want. Okay. Man. I want cartoons to be loud and explosive and zany, and I want you to break every. Every law of 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 reality. That's yeah. what I want. This movie breaks every law of reality. <laughs> well, yeah, because in that, yes, foxes write newspapers in Wes Anderson land. They that go, ain't zany enough for me. They go up to a dog that behaves like a plain old dog, and they're like, "Beagles don't eat blueberries." <laughs> We're going to lace these blueberries with, like, fucking ricin or whatever and poison the dog. We're going to sneak into them like it's it. Uh, we're going to sneak into a chicken pen. What is that? Is that a fox trap? In the- Jesus. Uh, I find this shit. Uh, I think we're both. I don't, I don't hate this movie. I think it's a fine movie. I'm just bothered by the whole sensibility. I don't think there's no, there's nothing wrong with that sensibility. That if you're gonna that's that is a a a certain hue. It's a very specific color. It's not. Oh yeah, it's all brown and orange. It's not. <laughs> that's what it is. I like brown and orange. What do you got against brown and orange? <laughs> it's not neon. You don't like neon, generally speaking. And this is like a comfortable. Briefcases are yeah. brown and orange. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm cutting that part of the podcast out. <sighs> um, <laughs> Um, did you just say that nope i didn't (laughs) i didn't and the podcast world is none the wiser um it's a good movie let's move on okay (laughs) i don't get it man that's okay i'm saving you let's move on i don't get it (laughs) fucking wes anderson Uh, (laughs) did you The people at home won't understand what we're laughing about. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Fantastic Mr. Fox. I didn't expect this movie to break me, but that just happened. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) What were you searching for, rat? (laughs) Cider. It's my favorite part of the movie. Me too. He redeemed himself. In the end, sure. <laughs> I like that part. Yeah. But you know what, though? That's like a Bombach line. Yeah, it is. That, to me, is like, that's where, that's Bombach's contribution to the script. I always wonder where someone like Bombach comes in with Wes Anderson's scripts. It's like, what? who wrote what, you know? Right. You know. And Wes Anderson is the one that came up with the idea of cuss instead of the word fuck. Yeah. They use the word cuss instead. And it's so quirky and original. Oh, 
Guy's got a mind of his own. You, you say this as if like I'm watching it. And I'm like, wow, this movie is just so clever for using uh, cuss instead of fuck. That is mom. exactly what I imagine. And I imagine you're wearing a scarf while you watch it. Too. No, that's true. That part's true. <laughs> move like Bugs Bunny. That's that's my take. Bugs Bunny can move like Bugs Bunny. They're talking foxes. And stop motion characters can move like stop motion characters. Whatever. Uh, a serious man. Written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. We never talk about them. No, we don't. We don't give them enough due. Because they suck. Yeah, man. They're the worst. Uh, this movie stars Michael Stuhlberg, Richard Kind, and in one of my favorite performances in any Cohen Brothers movie, Fred Malamud. Who's Fred Malamud? As Cy Abelson. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm a serious man, Larry. Larry, sometimes I like to count to ten. <laughs> one. Two, three, or maybe quiet. Surely you're jesting, Larry. I do think the Jolly Roger is the appropriate course of action. (laughs) What a great character! Dude, when he gives him the hug for the first time, like, I'm sleeping with your wife and ruining your life, <laughs> but I love you and care about you. No, he comes over with, like, a bottle of wine. Dude, it's so fucking genius. Larry, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Nominated for Best Picture and Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. Feels like a, a small number of nominations. I feel like he could have gotten a few more. Uh, Larry Gopnik, <clears throat> a Midwestern physics teacher, watches his life unravel over multiple sudden incidents. Though seeking meaning and answers amidst his turmoils, he seems to keep sinking. Um, I, I guess some have described this as a loose retelling of the story of Job. Uh, I'm not a big biblical scholar. Uh, I know Joel and Ethan Cohen have refuted that claim. Um, that they, also sounds like something they would yeah. say, though. They also said about that scene at the beginning of the movie when they kill the guy in the cabin. Yeah. Uh, that that has nothing to do with the plot of the movie. It's just like a little short film to get people in the mood. Which is an interesting idea, and it definitely works. But it, that that little short says a lot about just the nature of every other character in the movie. Yeah. It kind of gives you an ex, a, a brief explanation as to why the things happen to Larry the way that they do, I guess. Right. Like, but it, it's but, not intended to be that, though. No. It's not supposed to be a family curse, according to them. I took it as a family curse, but I, I guess it's not. I don't know. Like, I think that's everyone's first thought, but, I mean, they're, they're not uh, <clears throat> part of that family. Oh, yeah, okay. Are they? No, I don't well, think... I, I mean, I, I don't think they ever specify. No. Well, that's the thing, so... Yeah. Um... Yeah, uh, this is in my top five Coen Brothers movies, uh, <laughs> it, which is really saying something. It's top. F- it's like if it's not five in my top five, it's like it's like six. Yeah, you know, it's right there. I think it is their most underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, I, people just like haven't seen this one. I don't it's know. Kind of weird. I mean, it's not like. It's, it's, is this a movie I recommend to people? <laughs> I would recommend it to anyone. I, I, I probably would. Like, like is is. The the problem with like recommending a Coen Brothers film, generally speaking, is like trying to judge whether or not their sense of humor is going to vibe with somebody. Because yeah. I've had instances where people have watched this movie and they just couldn't stand it because they thought it was very depressing. Yeah, and I yeah, mean you have to find it funny. Yeah, and it it is depressing, and it's also 
one of the funniest movies ever made. It's so fucking funny. I mean, like more often than not, I'm laughing, and a lot of it is at like the traditionally like horrifying scenes, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I it's just I, everything about them just kind of works for me. I've all, I've always kind of connected to that sensibility. So yeah, I don't know. Yes, of course. You and I have always connected with the Coens. Yeah. Um, I, I think in this one, though, more than maybe anything aside from Raising Arizona, the physical comedy is what mm. makes it. Yeah. Um, I, I think these two guys are probably the best comedy directors of their generation and understand the humor in like yeah. putting a bully uh, in the background and the scared nerd in the foreground <laughs> and watching them run through this empty suburban neighborhood <laughs> and, and like there's nothing like obviously funny on the page when it comes to a scene like that but then you see it play out in the production design yep. and how they choose to shoot it and it's the most hilarious fucking foot chase you've ever seen <laughs> i don't know what but that's the thing is that it's it's always hard to describe to people like i don't know how you write this and tell people that it's funny or even like like when i'm talking about the movie with other people and saying that it's funny it just kind of is yeah and yeah, but like I, I can't overtly tell you like why that scene is so funny to me, right? Or why it, him just kind of being up on the roof the way that he is and pe- peeping over the it naked to, woman, yeah, and why that's funny to me, or why him crying and being counseled by his lawyer is is so funny, right? Or Richard kind by the swimming pool. I, I mean, yeah. all this stuff on the page, yeah. it, it just seems like run of the mill, but somehow the Coens. They have this unbelievable gift of being able to imagine these scenes fully realized while they're writing the script. It's just so them too. It's like I didn't like no one's ever going to be able to like recreate any of that stuff. Yeah, it's just such an ob- and it's one of those things where it's like if you watch it and you've seen enough Coen Brothers film films and you didn't know this was a Coen Brothers film, you'd be like, it's got to be them, right? It's got to be them. Well, I also think it's their most personal film. Yeah, well, yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true. Obviously, yeah, it's very Jew. It's incredibly <laughs> Jewish. My, my brother's like, I can't. I don't know. It's like it's this movie. I don't know about it. It's too Jewy. Yeah, he says that a lot. <laughs> it's too Jewy, Adam. I'm like, <laughs> Look, I, I am uh, not Jewish at all. I don't have a sliver of Jewish blood in me. Um, but like there was something. It's so weird when a when a filmmaker has like command of a culture or has command yeah. of like a space. It can make you feel like you've grown up in that mm-hmm. culture or in that space. And it's like I watch these scenes like when they're in synagogue or whatever. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Must be so fun being in synagogue, like, right, Larry? Even though you have no frame of reference whatsoever, mm-hmm. you're just instantly in that world. Or in this specific case, they grew up in Minnesota, the Coens yep. did. This is set in suburban Minnesota, and it just feels like you've been in this exact same neighborhood with these same characters. Yeah, I know. You know? Uh, it's so fully realized, um, and so personal, and so true, and it's kind of the type of movie that they don't make enough you know, like specifically them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I see. I, I kind of want more biographical stuff from them. Autobiographical, I should say. If you're going to do it like this, too. I mean, it is obviously very autobiographical, but like like again, with just such a unique voice yeah. that you don't see in a lot of like autobiographical films, which is kind of weird. I find that a lot with like movies that are based off of some, you know, someone's upbringing and they kind of have a similar feel yeah you know but you watch this and it's just like it's so uniquely them and yeah. i couldn't i couldn't identify it any other way and they just get all the details right and you feel like the scene where he goes up and reads the the passage that during his bat mitzvah mm. uh it's like yeah he this clearly happened to one of those guys yeah <laughs> at some point you know right you just buy it. and <laughs> i love the way they represent that stuff too mm. it's like especially the, the the scenes of the of the characters being high it's like that's what it's like 
Yeah. That's what it's like. <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> more often than not, movies try to do it and they get it so wrong. I'm like, nope, that's it. Yeah, they've lived all of this yep. in some form or another. Mm-hmm. And even if they didn't live it, you can't tell the difference because these guys are so fucking good at screenwriting. Yeah. My God. We're never going to have guys like them ever again. We've never had anybody like them before. Or since. And, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we're never going to have anybody with such a specific voice and a specific command of the material as the Coens. And like, I don't know what they're working on next. I've heard rumblings that they may be done. What? Did you hear this? No. Because I guess Joel is doing his own thing. He's doing like a, a Macbeth adaptation with Denzel Washington and Francis. Okay. And Ethan is like working on his own stuff and they don't have anything like planned. They're not done. man. So I, I don't know, man. They're too young. They're not done. Are they too young? I mean, they're not really young. They're think like about their great, 60s, aren't no, they? Think about the great directors, man, that go into like their 60s and 70s. They're not done. I hope not. No, me too. <laughs> yeah, this this is such a phenomenal movie. And the ending. Yes. Oh, God. I will contend is one of my favorite movies or one of my favorite movie endings ever. Mm-hmm. Um just tells you all you need to know and it's one of those movies where it like ends on the exact right frame not one moment before or not one moment after Mm -hmm. like the story is done they've told you all they need to tell you and there's an impending sense of doom a storm is fucking coming and i have never been that haunted by an image in a coen brothers movie ever for especially one that is so funny oddly well i was gonna say for a movie like this it's funny that that would be the movie to leave you with just that impending sense of dread yeah that that overlooming idea of what life is gonna hit you with (laughs) yeah which is so true and i mean like yeah they're very good at ending it on those notes which is the one thing that carries through with a lot of coen brothers films is that their endings are unsatisfying in quotes like on the page oh, they're ambiguous but that's the thing it's like more than, more often than not people will say like Coen Brothers movies endings are usually kind of like like cold or dark yeah but like I, I mean to me that is satisfying sure like getting that level of amb- ambiguity it's similar with like uh, Inside Lewin Davis yeah has a similar kind of like like kind of bleak but a, a dark ambiguous ending kind of but not really I'm actually that's yes a little no. more optimistic than, than this one but, well it's yeah, yeah, no, yeah, definitely more optimistic than this thing. Yeah, but yeah, but you, you certainly get that sense out of like even something like like No Country for Old Men as well, you know. Another perfect ending. Yes. Yeah. No, people are not satisfied because the plot doesn't necessarily come to an end, but the story, and this is of course the difference between story and plot, is that the story ends at a different time than the plot does, mm-hmm. and movies have a tendency to overstay their welcome a lot of times, especially if they're directed by Peter Jackson. Um, the Coens never do that no I agree you know the Coens end it with a phone call from the doctor and a changed letter grade and a guy in front of a tornado and it's like wow I'm never going to forget the moment that I watch that it's like that is etched in my brain for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. so good I love that notion like all it takes is just one little mistake like that to throw everything out of balance yep it's like, like, Larry, you didn't learn anything. Right. And it's also like, because the whole movie, you feel bad for him. Yep. And, and then he, the whole story of Job is that he's a guy that suffers for no reason. But actually, yeah. he had a lot to do with his suffering. Yes. It's not all undeserved. <laughs> I actually wrote about this movie my freshman year of college. And I just talked about, like, just a, one of my... my one of the things I said about it, in, like almost immediately, is like there is just something oddly fascinating about someone failing at every single turn, yeah, and like trying to understand why it's happening or how he's going to get out of it. But no matter what, it's just like nope, he keeps getting knocked down. It's and, uncut gems, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, same thing. Yeah, there is something very cinematic about that. Yes, I agree. <laughs> 
Failure is almost more cinematic than success at times. Well, because there's a point where you should also recognize that they're not getting out of this alive, essentially, right. but you're just so locked in. And I guess that shows the the effectiveness of movies like that. So. Right. Yeah, because you know, he's exactly right. You know things aren't going to turn around. And there's a moment when you realize things aren't going to turn around, mm-hmm. but you still lie to yourself and convince yourself that he's going to make it out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just makes the gut punch even harder. There's another Jew, son. <laughs> <laughs> oh man I love this movie It's perfect It's a perfect fucking movie I love, I love it so much Me too uh, You know a pretty good movie Year 2009 As it turns out <laughs> Yeah Pretty damn good uh, Let's talk Inglorious Bastards Next mm-hmm. It's written and directed By uh, a man named Quentin Tarantino Another shitty director Yeah Really never did anything Had potential No Had a lot of potential If you ask me You know Yeah, yeah. It I really like, broke through Yeah I like that movie You know Like Death Proof But after that psh, Downhill yeah, um, <laughs> I'm a four rooms guy myself. <laughs> I oh, like yeah. four rooms. A oh, lot. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Do you actually like four rooms? I've never seen it, man. <laughs> oh no! Why is this a thing? It's coming. Oh hell yeah! I'm down. Four rooms. All right. What a pile of shit. <laughs> uh, Brad Pitt, Melanie Laurent. Christoph Waltz, Eli Roth, Michael Fassbender, and Diane Kruger star. Christoph Waltz wins Best Supporting Actor that year at the Oscars. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Director, Original Screenplay, Cinematography, Editing, Sound Editing, and Sound Mixing in Nazi-occupied France during World War II. A plan to assassinate Nazi leaders by a group of Jewish U.S. soldiers coincides with a theater owner's vengeful plans for the same Title comes from the 1978 B movie, Italian B movie, Inglorious Bastards. It's spelled correctly mm-hmm. in uh, that particular film. Um, this is one of those movies that you have over the years sort of voice skepticism toward. And I, I not only don't understand it, I don't think you quite understand it. And I want to try to get to the bottom of this today. <laughs> I'd love that. So what is it? I don't know, man. I've, 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 I don't even know if I want to call it skepticism because it has nothing to do with that. I don't think this is a bad movie, even remotely. I think it's quite great, and I've always like felt that ever, like ever, ever since I first saw it, and even to this day, I will throw it on in hopes that I will love it. And it, uh, I, I, I just there's a point, and I don't know when it happens. I just kind of hit a wall, and I'm like. Okay, I'm done. You hit a wall in the... There's like a point, like in, a the point in the movie where I just like, okay, yeah, I can't get there. And I, know why, I don't know why because I, I still continue watching and I'm like, damn, this is well done. This is well done. This is so good. But why am I so uninterested? Yeah, well, there are like five scenes that are like, wow, this is the best shit I've seen in like 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, that movie has that effect. It feels like a play in that way. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, that's the thing. And I mean, it's it, it blends that nicely where it's incredibly cinematic, but the dialogue is just fucking awesome. Right. Uh, so, which is why I would think it would hold up on a rewatch quite well, and it has for me. Every time I watch it on TV, yeah. it's so fucking entertaining. I'm mm-hmm. stuck for an hour and a half. Yeah, but you don't feel that way. <sighs> I wish I did. Hmm. It's a it's a great movie. Don't get me wrong. It's a really, really, really good movie. But I d- I don't know what it is about this one that uh, uh, is it the characters? <sighs> is it Pitt? Do you like Brad Pitt in this movie? I kind of do. Yeah. I love him. Yeah, yeah. Oblige him. <laughs> Oblige him. Yeah. German wants to die for his country. <laughs> we will be cruel to the German. <laughs> Gorlami. <laughs> Gorlami. <laughs> Gorlami. 
Antonio Margariti. 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 This script is unbelievable. I think it's his best script. It could be. <laughs> he certainly thinks so with that final line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good point. He had been working on this one, I guess, for like 10 years before he made it. Good, uh, sc- good like read, too. I've actually read it. It's oh, quite, really? It's quite fun, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's one of those movies where like every character, and this, these are the best scripts, is when each character has a fully realized motivation, mm-hmm. and you watch them talk each other in and out of power essentially yeah you know you you watch the power dynamic shift in that bar scene in the basement or uh when christoph waltz is talking to the family at the beginning of the movie and he shoots them under the 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 floorboards like it's such a fascinating exploration of power and how words can can uh hold power and how they can also lose power Mm -hmm. um and like I just appreciate that. I always appreciate smart screenwriting, and I just think this is his pinnacle. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that it's his best movie. I would probably put it around number four on the Tarantino rankings. Um, but it is just remarkable watching these actors talk in and out of trouble. Mm-hmm. It's really fucking good. Especially in the, the bar scene in the basement. Yeah. Fighting in a basement, which is my favorite scene in the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, you mind if we talk to Kings? <laughs> it's the best. It's great. <laughs> Just really, really, really clever, and a lot of great choices with his with his screenwriting. But that scene, like that, that's one scene that I cannot turn off as soon as I've started. Yeah, like, I just think that scene is one, uh, like one of the great scenes ever written. So tense. I do. I and I honestly believe that. Like this is one of the great scenes ever written, and it, the intensity is thick as hell. And yeah, man, like like that opening scene is is fantastic. The, no, Christoph Waltz is like the shark from Jaws. One one of the last great like iconic performances that won an Oscar. Because I think about Oscar wins now, and I don't see them as very like notably iconic. Yeah, at least I can't think of any off the top of my head. But he's the last one I can remember where it's like you won an Oscar, and it's like for a character that everyone kind of knows and loves. Right. So. Yeah, I guess Eisenberg didn't win for Social Network. No. Yeah, we were doing that end of decade podcast, and I think that was one of the takeaways: is there just weren't that many standout performances or actors. No. Nope. Um, yeah, this was you know Walt coming in speaking mostly German. Yeah. Uh, he was a relative unknown. I don't think like he had done any major movie before this one. There's a couple th- major movies, but nothing that like stood out. And it's just like one of those I have arrived and Tarantino has found another star moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always exciting in a, in a movie like this. I, I was reading this. Uh, only 30% of the movie is English. Huh. The other 70% is either French, Italian or German. Yep. Which is nuts to me that it was so accessible because it made a ton of money at the box office. And I think it's still one of his highest grossing movies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, that's cool. It is really cool. Yeah, it just shows like like people's love for the director, though. I guess. You yeah, know, the fact that he's kind of the greatest star of his own movies in a way. But I also love that he kept it in the other languages. I like that he didn't just cheapen it and oh, go English. Well, there's a lot of authenticity to that because a lot of movies that he's paying homage to would have uh, gone English, right? So he's making it better in his mind. Right. Well, I think the thing with Tarantino, too, this was the case in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is that the filmmaking can be exaggerated, but the details of the world can't be. Mm -hmm. And because his movies are so over the top and the violence is so pronounced and the language is is quite vulgar at times that it runs the risk of being corny if you don't get the little details right. 
So like you can save Sharon Tate at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but you've got to use the real footage from the Wrecking Crew <laughs> in the movie theater. Yeah, that's right. you've got to have the right songs playing on the radio, or else we don't buy in. It's that real fine line between authenticity and cheese that Tarantino skates, mm-hmm. and I think that's the case in this one. They got to be talking German because we're gonna fucking kill Hitler in a movie theater at the end of this movie, <laughs> and you got to buy in so that. It, that revisionist history makes sense to you. I know. Because I think if you didn't get it right, that would piss a lot of people off. Yeah. More than anything, you know, because it, it, I think it would make the audience think that this movie is more up its ass. Right. Which I don't think it is. And uh, yeah, if you get the details right, it's like, no, this is a, a committed piece, mm-hmm. you know, that lives within this authentic world. You know, it's just it's it's Tarantino's version of it. Yeah. You know, uh, again, though, I just wish I knew why I don't love this movie. <laughs> Man. Because we'll I figure it out one day. I figured out why I don't love. Uh, I mean, I, I've said some of my grievances for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just on like a fundamental level. But like, I think what it really came down to when I was like, because the other day I was getting really annoyed trying to figure it out, like like on a greater level than that. And I was like, I, I sort of realized like, am I really interested in the story in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? And I'm like, no, not at all. I don't care about that story. Of Neither Ho- am I, though. Yeah, but I I thoroughly don't care about Hollywood. I don't care about Hollywood in in that point in time. I also don't give a shit about the people who inhabited that world at that point in time. And more than that as well, I don't care about what Tarantino thinks about this world, even in the slightest. So I think maybe that was was a lot of what was keeping me back from loving it. I agree with nearly everything you said, but the characters are so well drawn, I don't care. Mm -hmm. You know? It's like, I'm not a huge war guy. I'm not like a World War II scholar. And... That's why I could care less about what Tarantino thinks about the Nazis. Yeah. But the characters that inhabit that world are so well realized. This is not even a war movie to me. I guess technically it's a war movie, but... I don't think of this one as a war movie at all. No, I, I just think of these scenes between these characters. Yeah. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, to me, it has the two most fully realized Tarantino characters ever. Yeah. Uh, with the two best Tarantino performances ever. That one goes back to like my same arguments I have for against like The Dark Knight, where it's like those... Like Leo's fin- phenomenal, but there's a lot of other movie there that just doesn't quite grab me, and a lot of that is, for me at least, just that that story that that Tarantino, the Manson so, stuff. Yeah, do you like, not care about Manson? No. Yeah. Like so enamored with like like again like it feels like Tarantino's very enamored with a lot of uh, other elements in it that besides Leo's character. Like there are many hearts to that movie, and not just Leo's character and all those other de- uh, like. All those other cores are just not something I, I care to explore, I suppose. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. You're allowed to be wrong. It's fine. <laughs> I'm being respectful, you dick. <laughs> don't say I'm wrong. Just be like, okay, Adam. All right. Never. Fair. Never. <laughs> uh, in the Tarantino universe, uh, Lieutenant Aldo Rain, Brad Pitt's character, is the grandfather or great-grandfather of Brad Pitt's character in True Romance. <laughs> Did you know that? Fuck you, Tarantino. Who cares? Floyd the pothead from this, True Romance. And this is what bothers me about Tarantino. Stop trying to make this stuff more important than it is. Who gives a shit? Literally no one fucking cares. Dude, I love Floyd in True Romance. Oh my god. What a great like under five Brad Pitt is in that movie. <laughs> so good. Floyd is pretty great. I do love Floyd. But like, come on. N- n- doesn't matter great at grandfather. all. Yeah, whatever. In the killing Nazi business. Yeah. Oblige him. <laughs> the bear Jew. Bear Jew. Um. Okay. 
The Hangover. Oh, okay. We gotta talk about The Hangover. Um, Jesus, yeah, that's uh, th- th- those are two directors that are nominated for Best Director this year at the Oscars because we're talking Todd Phillips. Oh God, you're right, <laughs> director of The Hangover. Uh, this movie won the Golden Globe for Best Comedy Musical in 2009. Uh, nominated for no Oscars, though. Stars Bradley Cooper, Ed Helms, Zach Galifianakis, and Justin Bartha. Three buddies wake up from a bachelor party in Las Vegas with no memory of the previous night and the bachelor missing. They make their way around the city in order to find their friend before his wedding. Um, you know, we talk... Uh, legacy impact quality whatever um hard for me not to call this one the most iconic what would you say no it's not you don't think so no no okay i mean it's i would say it's tied with another movie on this list with avatar probably you know inglorious bastards is up there too yeah those three are very close and i don't know if i can completely completely distinguish them yeah but for very different reasons yeah I, I felt an obligation to nominate this one. Yeah. Um, it, it's not a movie I love. It's a movie I really like. Mm, it's a movie that the older I've gotten, the less I've liked it. Mm-hmm. When I saw it in 2009 with everyone and like we were fucking quoting the Zach Galifianakis speech on the rooftop and we were making Mike Tyson jokes. We were singing coming in the air tonight <laughs> uh, and we were joking about Ken Jong's penis. It was all well and good. Just yeah. guys being guys in Vegas, baby. You sort of felt that sense of camaraderie, which is like an admirable quality to this film. We all felt like we were kind of part of that party, I suppose. Right. Uh, I was also 13 in 2009. So you were stupid. Yeah, this was, was really a- fucking dumb. As was I. I remember seeing this movie New Year's Eve. We said, we're not going to watch the, the, the ball drop. We're just going to watch The Hangover. Okay. And we did. And it was a ton of fun. And someone laid a bed across me and started making out. Oh, okay. Literally. Was there a chicken involved? No, no, no. Someone laid a bed on top of me, and then her and her boyfriend started making out. On the fucking mattress? On top of me, yeah. The mattress was on top of you? Yes. Why didn't you get out? Uh, I didn't realize they were doing it. Were you enjoying it? No. (laughs) I I think I poked my head up. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, wait a minute. There was a mattress on top of you? Yeah, I was like falling. You know you're like five foot and a half you yeah. know that <laughs> you're like a tiny man they did i don't think they realized how that. tall are you five five i don't buy it <laughs> you're five five yeah and so you were less than five five in 2009 yeah i don't think they realized i was there is the thing they just kind of were drunk. yeah you're like the princess and the pea yeah they at were, that point they were drunk and laid across i, I was thinking i was how much booze was flowing when you were 13 years old not much not much. I wasn't getting drunk. I wasn't getting drunk until... But your friends were getting drunk at 13? They were a little older. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think I was so, like, like baffled, so I, like, comically didn't do anything. I'm like, okay. Right. And then I felt, wait, I'm like, okay. And then I poked my head up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, please stop. <laughs> and then, it did, okay. I'm very... This actually sounds very familiar, like, the experience in The Hangover. Like, it's, like, exactly the same. What do you mean? Well, fucking Justin Bartha gets his bed stuck on the roof, and he sleeps up there, and he's stuck there for two days. That's very different. Okay. <laughs> mattress-related hijinks? I don't know. It, well, it's related with the mattress, but what else? I, I don't know. Why didn't you get out? <laughs> I understand that. 
I did. Who throws a mattress on top of somebody and you guys just cool with it? I don't really. I wasn't cool with it. <laughs> You're a weird man. I know. You're a strange, strange man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I think I had the similar experience. I don't know if I saw it in the theater. I probably saw it at home. I didn't see it in the theater. No. no yeah. This was that. Well, movie. actually, I, that would have been R rated, so I wouldn't have been able to go. Um, yeah. Uh, look, 13 year old boys. What an age, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's boobs in this movie. Zach Galifianakis gets his cock sucked in the credits. A lot of dick jokes. Yeah. Women are bitches, oppressive bitches in this universe. Oh, yeah. In the universe of Todd Phillips. Duh. No marriage is a happy one. No. It's, it's chaos. <laughs> yeah. This movie. Uh, probably. You would maybe describe it as problematic in 2019. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> sure. I'm not going to be one of those people, but you may you may describe it as such. This wouldn't go over nearly as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't think it did a lot of good for Hollywood. That's what I would say. No, I mean, there's so many imitators with this. I mean, it was it's funny to me that people saw this movie and like, we need more of that. Yeah. We need more comedies that, that behave this way. Right. And I was like, what? And it, it did set an odd trend for comedies of this of this caliber. I don't know. I mean, I still like the movie. It's not one... I, I, I remember re-watching it a lot, and then all of a sudden, I was just like, okay, the, that... That juice is run dry. Right. It's really a movie like that where I'm like... It's like Ted. Yeah. Actually, the 21 Jump Street movies are pretty good, but they're all sort of cut from the same cloth. Yep. You know? I actually didn't see Hangover 3. I only saw part two. Yeah, I didn't see three. I didn't care for it. Yeah, I didn't care for it. There was a lot of Ken Jeong dick in part two, I remember. Yeah. It's it's another one that just my friends were crazy about. And I think by that age, I was a little disillusioned. Yeah. I'm like, guys, can we just watch Casablanca? Uh (laughs) It's like, is this really what we want? (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I I don't have that much to say about it because I again, like I I think the movie's funny enough at this point. It, mm-hmm. But I will say it's like one of those films that hasn't aged that well, at least for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Todd Phillips is a is an interesting filmmaker. I wouldn't call him a particularly good filmmaker, but I I think um, he's been important. I call um, him a very important filmmaker. Oddly, like he should not have been important, but he, he I guess he was. Yeah, but I do think like he represents a subsection of moviegoer and actually it's a pretty large subsection of moviegoer um and it's male and it's stuck in your own head often um and uh it thinks it's smarter than they actually are you know i wonder what what you're referring to no it's not just joker but i actually think like weirdly enough there's a through line between a lot of this shit like the gg allen story in a way is has a lot in common with something like the hangover in that it it sort of it feels like an elevated comedy and that it's well written and uh and and has something to say about society but really is just a collection of shit jokes sure and that's what gg allen is it pretends to be this deep character study but really it's just laughing at a guy that shoves a banana up his ass right and yeah. then there's an ultimate tragedy and that tragedy doesn't exactly work for the audience because it's not earned no um and there's a lot of that in the hangover. He's a bro director. He's very, yeah, well, he's very bro. Well, that's what I mean. He made old school, dude. Yeah. You know, and that's oddly, I like that movie more than most Todd Phillips films. Yeah. Because, I don't mind it either. Well, it kind of cuts out a lot of that bullshit you were talking about and just kind of goes for it. It just works as a good kind of straightforward, like frat boy comedy, even though it is a ripoff of animal house for all intents and purposes. Right. You know, it works that in that way. Uh, but it's, I don't think it's a good thing, though, when my favorite movie that the guy's done is Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen. I love Starsky and Hutch. Do you really? Yeah, I love it. And oh, man. I understand. Like, you probably see it as, like, it's not that great, but I, I don't know what it is about that movie. That's another, like, blanket film. I just watch it and 
get cozy and it's so much fun. Yeah, wow. He shot Corky's tail off. You should see Snoop Dogg in that movie, Mike. It was the first introduction to Snoop Dogg in my life. Yeah. It was Starsky and Hutch. What's your favorite gag in The Hangover? Mm, favorite gag in The Hangover? Maybe The Trunk. The Trunk? Yeah. Ken Jong jumping out? The whole culmination of that. I hate Godzilla, too. He destroys cities. Okay. <laughs> Galifianakis is quite brilliant. Yes, he is. My favorite line is when he's at the beginning, I'm not supposed to be within 200 feet of a school zone. <laughs> That's the best. The one that I quoted the the most was, it's not illegal, it's frowned upon, like masturbating on an airplane. <laughs> I would say that even out of context where it wouldn't even make sense. <laughs> so fucking stupid. Yeah. Uh, Ed Helms' tooth, when he's missing the tooth, that was not prosthetic. Apparently, he never had that tooth grow in as a child. So he made it prosthetic tooth and so he just took it out for the scenes okay then cool quite convenient uh mike tyson revealed that he appeared in the film to fund his drug habit and that he was high on cocaine when the uh when he filmed his scenes tyson later said that working on the film convinced him to change his lifestyle he also owns seven tigers in real life (laughs) what a freak that tyson good for him though tyson tyson um (laughs) the screenplay for this movie was on the blacklist in 2007 why I, I don't know I, I i don't think of the blacklist as like a place for bro comedies for universal pictures the blacklist is weird because it also had whiplash well that makes sense yeah no but that's a very black that's like an indie script is it okay you think i i don't know like what what other blacklist scripts imitation okay. game i think was a blacklist script really <laughs> that's kind of weird yeah i think so they uh, have a funny variety from what i know yeah, the hangover I just wouldn't assume is like a Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I, I just don't think of the I think of the blacklist as like a service to highlight the underrepresented films. I don't think of it as like a place to promote stoner comedies. Well this one feels more commercial is the thing. I guess that's why. It yeah. feels more mainstream. I don't know. No, yeah, but it's like does does mainstream Hollywood need another movie like The Hangover? No. I guess in two thousand nine they thought it so. Certainly wants as many as it can get. So Yeah. Uh I, okay. This is actually one, when I looked at the list, I thought this is the most obvious contender for for the Movie Hall of Fame for me, just in terms of like iconography, but I don't think it's at nearly the level of quality. Of it's not good enough. It's not even remotely good enough. It's not. I don't even think it wins on impact, too, is the problem, so. Yeah. It doesn't win on impact, but. Okay. I think I disagree, but all right. No, man. Come That's on. Fine. Come on. That's the hangover. Yeah. Sorry, 13-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Avatar. Avatar. Um, written and directed by James Cameron. Yep. Stars Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana, Sigourney Weaver, and Stephen Lang. Sigourney Weaver dies in this movie, yes? Yes, she does. Why is she coming back for the sequel? She's probably in spirit. It's like an Obi-Wan Kenobi thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Uh, winner of Best Cinematography, Best Visual Effects, and Best Art Direction. The cinematography thing is weird, considering <laughs> that... Uh, they're like never in a real location well they're they're always in a room <laughs> it's true but they're never a uh, cinematographer knows how to shoot a green screen better than just about anyone that's pretty impressive i guess uh nominated for best picture director editing original score sound mixing and sound editing a paraplegic marine dispatched to the moon pandora on a unique mission becomes torn between following his orders and protecting the world he feels is his home second highest grossing movie of all time Behind Avengers Endgame just broke the record this year. (sighs) 
this movie is so fucking weird to me. <laughs> I, I, is there any precedent for a movie like this that was the biggest thing on earth when it came out? Earth shattering big. Everyone saw it. Everyone was talking about it. Yeah. And now, 11 years later, they haven't made a sequel, and no one is excited for it. No. What the fuck? <laughs> it's a strange legacy. What, what is this? I don't... You have to explain to me what happened in the culture here. What, I don't get it. What do you mean? Like, the response to it? Are you, what, are you, what are you confused by? Well, no, I just have never seen something so earth-shattering have such little staying power. Oh, yeah. This movie has no staying power. Well, it it came out at an interesting time. I mean, it came out when everyone was aware of uh, what the I guess the movie was, and they heard. You know, we had the internet, and we were aware of other films that it's essentially ripping off and that kind of thing. And it's also a time where technology just skyrocketed and took everything that this movie did and just did more and more and more and more and more and more and more of it. Uh, and that's kind of what killed it, in my opinion. Yeah, I I. You have to treat this movie in some vein similar to Star Wars in terms of visual effects. Right. Because this really is like when it came out, and even I thought so. I was like, I, I went with my dad and, and my mom and everything, and they're like, we've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. And I had a similar like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this ever in my life. It certainly has that whoa quality to it when you when you, at least when it came out. It would not have that effect now. No. Certainly not, but yes, like, like, any kids who are listening to this podcast that was the effect like right. holy shit what is this how did they do this and all that i remember all of that yeah and it, it was, was really crazy but it, to me it's kind of weird you compare it to star wars it feels to me more like coney 2012 you know what i mean <laughs> like it yeah. feels to me more like a meme now yeah yeah which is because it's so of its time now where it's like if 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 you try to do this again and they certainly have people just sort of like shrug at it which makes it all the more fascinating that James Cameron wants to do, what is it, like four sequels? They're, yeah, they're doing four sequels. Like, no, I, I are people going to show up to that? I, that? See, that, I have no idea. I, don't, I really don't know if they're going to do that well. No, I guess Disney is like, they got nothing to lose. No. I mean, I guess you assume that at least a third of the audience is still there for it. Yeah. So, I mean, it would be silly not to make Avatar sequels if James Cameron wants to make them. I don't get doing four of them, though. No, not at all. There's I a s- high prob- probability this thing bombs. At a certain point, yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm sure the, the first one will do fine. The first sequel, that might, that might be okay. But, like, everything else, really? And I think they shot two and three back to... I think filming is done. I don't know that for a fact. It's fucking weird. But I, just, I think filming is done. It's fucking weird, man. Like, like, the process of getting these other movies made. Because... It was well known that he was going to make more, like, ever since this one came out. It's like, yeah, okay, he's making- I feel like early 2000s, there was talk of a sequel. Oh, yeah, I remember, like, the year after. It's like, okay, he's getting, he's getting going on them. And it, it was uh, later revealed that it's going to take years to finish them. It's right. Like, okay. And then they had release dates, and they moved the release dates, and then they said they were going to make a trilogy, and then it changed to four, and now it's five. <laughs> when Disney bought Fox, they clarified that. I- it's just really bizarre, especially in today's Hollywood machine, mm-hmm. which is the second you have a hit, you're churning out a sequel. I know. The other day, my uh, I went to the movie theater when I saw 1917 with my mother and my sister because they wanted to see Jumanji 2. <laughs> I snuck into the last 15 minutes of Jumanji 2, the, the second fucking trip or whatever it's called. Uh, oh, the second level. Did you see the first Jumanji? 
I saw the first one with Robin Williams. No, no, the, the, <laughs> for the new one. No. Yeah, so, okay. I walk into that movie, there's like 15 minutes left, and there's a scene of uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who in real life is like a 14-year-old boy, speaking to his grandfather, who in real life is played by Danny DeVito, but whose avatar in this video game is Aquafina. So Aquafina's like doing a Danny DeVito impression, and meanwhile, there's a winged horse that Aquafina is riding around on, and I turn to my sister and I go, who's the horse? <laughs> and she goes, that's Danny Glover. <laughs> and he's dying of cancer, and he decides that he wants to live on in the Jumanji video game as a winged horse. That sounds like the best movie ever made point being what the fuck are you talking you about? can't make a modestly successful movie without mining it for a sequel anymore and to see the biggest movie ever it's the second highest grossing movie of all time not have one sequel in 11 years what the hell i mean that's kind of amazing and it shows that hey well james cameron has a lot of control and it's it's nice that he has his heart into this stuff and he's it, i'm i am very interested in a way I mean, just because we've been waiting for it for so long, I'm certainly interested in Avatar 2, but I'm not interested in any other movies that he produces yeah. in this universe. <laughs> it's just strange. There's really no precedent for this because there's never been a movie like Avatar before no. that was that big, that ambitious in terms of 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember at the time really being turned off by the 3D too. I didn't see it in 3D though. Yeah, I, one of those rare people that saw it at home. Ooh. I rented this shit. Oh. Saw it on DVD. You didn't see so you didn't see it in theaters? Did not. Dude. Didn't catch it on the big screen. Wow. And I wonder if that is tainted by appreciation for the movie. Interesting. Because I straight up don't like this movie. <laughs> okay. Utterly phenomenal cinematic experience. Yeah. I must say. Well, so is Disney World. Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. Disney World's fun. I don't mind this movie. Okay. I don't mind this movie at all. And I've 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 seen it a few times since since it's real. I mean, I saw it. Uh, uh, a few times when it came out, actually, and and really loving it, and yeah, since then I've I've wisened up to sort of the 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 weak script and the weak characters and sort of the 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 you know the the story that's fairly trite and that we still see being done. Over it's Pocahontas. Over Pocahontas dances with wolves. It's even a few movies before then. You know, I mean, it's not a novel concept. I do appreciate seeing it in this format, though. Mm. It's still cool. And it's it's really not a terrible movie. It's not like some people will ride on this movie just being like awful, and it's 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 really not. It's yeah. really not because James Cameron is for all of his. Um, <laughs> I don't think he's a great screenwriter. I don't think he's ever been a great screenwriter no. at all. Titanic's a good script, though. I disagree. Okay, and I think it's a fine script. Been same with this, but he he is very very good at storytelling. Yeah, and again, even on rewatch, I've always found this movie to be quite sweeping and quite satisfying in that way. And it's it does a great job at at placing you in this world and putting you next to the characters. And one of the things this movie does very very well is uh, taking in the reactions to the world, which makes it all the more grounded and human. Yeah, something like a lot of movies nowadays for some reason really don't do. It's a Spielberg quality where you see, you see a big thing and it's like oh my god yeah Gareth Edwards does that very well that's like the only thing Gareth Edwards does really well <laughs> yeah is like you get the sense of how big Godzilla is yes. when you see that Godzilla yeah. movie you know this is something that Christopher Nolan does poorly 
So, uh, yeah, you know, okay. I'm just I'm just saying it's like, sure, we all have our opinions. Okay. You think he does it well? I think when the ship fucking tips over in Dunkirk, like I get a sense of how big that shipwreck you is. think the, hu- the, the, the being in the human perspective works. Oh, absolutely. OK, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> y'all Dude, I, I, y'all ready to leave our solar system. Let's not like like. <laughs> Let's not like stop for a second to appreciate the fact that we're about to go into a wormhole. <laughs> yeah, let's just hop into this wormhole. Once we across the event horizon of the black hole. Oh, let's stop to think about the fact that I'm about to cross the path of the most dangerous <laughs> physical object in the universe. Yeah, whatever. I'm just going to go into this black hole. Cool. You're in rare form today. What I'm saying is that Avatar is better than Interstellar. Anyway. <laughs> you are in rare form. Uh, yeah, I don't care about Save the Earth movies. I'm sorry. That's, no, I, I don't blame you. I've never cared about them. This is <laughs> It's one of those movies where it's like if someone says, fuck Avatar, I'm like, okay. Right. <laughs> I don't care about blue people. I, yeah. I, <sighs> it's not a you film at no. all. I, I remember you telling us that you... you couldn't stand the visual effects yeah i found it to be sort of an uncanny valley thing mm-hmm. yeah in the way that i found cats to be very uncanny valley Well, the entire world like like cats i actually figured out they actually filmed on sets yeah which is like with no motion capture they just did the cgi after like they didn't use the balls if you want <laughs> so if you want to know why the the visual effects are fucking terrible in that movie well there you go yeah um yeah i i yeah, it, it's never worked for me. Yeah. This movie has never worked on any level. And I can't I, help but think I'm not in the minority on that. Because, again, this movie... Like, are there fan communities for Avatar? Oh, I still run into people all the time who talk about how much they like the movie. There I, are Avatar I, fans? Yeah, I would say that this movie at this point is fairly polarized. Are there people that speak Navi? Yeah. In the world? Yeah. That exists? Yeah. That's a thing. See, I don't buy that. It's true, though, man. There are people. Are there Avatar conventions? Like I, that's the level that this movie should have reached. Well, I've seen people at Comic. I've never been to Comic Con, but I've seen videos of people at Comic Con who dress up like that and go all in. I okay, but this movie was so big. This should generate Avengers level fan engagement. This should generate Star Trek or Star Wars level fan engagement. Well, visually, that, like here's the thing about here's what I will say is is that I don't think that. The 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 feat of Avengers becoming the highest grossing movie of all time was anything special because when that movie like got like like almost three billion dollars, no one cared. Yeah, no one gave a shit, and it, it didn't have like the the voice that this movie had. Like that movie was talked about for like a month, and then right. no, no one talked about it ever ever again. Right, ever again, and no one is talking about it. Yeah. Whereas this this movie had staying power at least for a year. Sure. And when it made as much money as it did, it's like holy shit. This movie is the highest grossing movie of all time and people couldn't shut up about it. Yes. It, it it's it's a film that sort of I, I I suppose earned its its it its level in the box office gross. Well, yeah, if you look at the box office returns, it was a slow incline. It wasn't like the first weekend hype and then yeah. nosedive, which and, is what Avengers did. It like did yeah. well in like a month and then it was nowhere. It was word of mouth. Yeah. People liked the movie. Yeah. Well it was <sighs> they did. Part of it, though, is the James Cameron name. Yeah, well... And he has a way, just because his productions cost $300 million... Yeah. And, I, they, and the trailers are always impressive. Like, they have a way of generating buzz and hype going into it. Do you really think it was 
the 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 public at large seeing that name. I don't not necessarily the name James Cameron, but all of the free press they got around it. Yeah, it certainly helped. People mm-hmm. were talking about the movie, and in a way, you can think of it as a Titanic sequel. Right? Sort of. <laughs> it, it's kind of it's part of the James Cameron franchise. It's not like an original story in that no. way, although it is an original idea. It's the epic event, sort of. Yeah, of of it all. But this was the last movie to to get that big to be such an epic event like that you know yes because i really didn't like like again avengers yeah people dress up at the as these characters but they're not dressing up as these characters specifically because of avengers endgame yeah you know no it's, that's true it's just the mcu yes it is impressive what this movie was able to do in 2009 yeah. i think now we look back it's 2020 it's been 11 years and we're still shaking our heads and that uh, is such a unique phenomenon. I don't even know how to quantify that. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know how to think about it in terms of this conversation. Because, it, like, at the time, we're like, for sure, this is going to have a legacy and this is going to have an impact. But I think in both categories, it's fallen short of expectations. Of expectations, but it still has a pretty significant legacy. I mean, it, it fundamentally changed the way movies are made. Yeah. Every single big movie owes a debt to this movie, essentially after, you know, especially, in, I guess... I guess the entire uh, 2010s, every single big budget movie, just the way the way you conceptualize a film is completely changed because of this movie. You know, 3D is completely changed. Yes. You know, well, and 3D is actually going away, though. I know. You know, I, I think for a while it, people suspected it was a gimmick and they were correct. It yeah. was a gimmick. I don't think that use of 3D changed anything. I don't think I think three, the idea of 3D is fundamentally flawed, too. Yeah. So sure. Um, okay. Well, let's move on then to the movie that beat Avatar at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called The Hurt Locker, mm-hmm. and it's directed by James Cameron's ex-wife, Catherine Bigelow. Uh-huh. Stars Jeremy Renner, Anthony Mackie, Guy Pierce, and Ray Fiennes, for a brief moments. Uh, winner of Best Picture, Director, Original Screenplay, Editing, Sound Mixing, and Sound Editing at the Oscars. Uh, also nominated for Best Actor for the, the, the Homeboy Renner. Our, our Homeboy. Cinematography and Original Score. During the Iraq war, a sergeant recently assigned to an army bomb squad is put at odds with his squad mates due to his maverick way of handling his work. Mm-hmm. With $12 million at the box office, this is the lowest grossing best picture movie of all time. Yeah, I believe that. Uh, turns out also James Cameron was the one who convinced his ex-wife Catherine Bigelow to direct the movie after he read the script. So he is responsible for his ex-wife kicking his ass at the Oscars that year. Cool. I'm sure he was actually oddly happy about that. Yeah. I, I vaguely remember the narrative being like, oh, these two hate each other, and now they're going up against each other for best picture. Nah. But yeah. no, nah, I'm sure they're doing okay. I'd like to apologize to our listeners right now because we said we were going to do five movies, but we had to change that. Well, I realized we didn't nominate this, and that seemed kind of criminal. Yeah, it seemed weird. Yeah. Um, I have no problem with this choice for best picture. What I vote for it if i had a vote in 2009 probably not but i think we look back on this one and uh, it's one of those like cool oscar choices it's different yeah it's different i don't think it's like a remembered one though yeah no i don't think it was big at the time no sort of a surprise and i'm it's it's one that i've actually seen a a lot since since seeing it but i studied it in film school i think interesting i guess that makes sense it it, it says a lot about its time you know a a lot of i do one of the things i do appreciate about war movies of the 2000s and the the 2010s is how much they relate to its era they're they're so like dug in in such a real personal way that 
uh, and <laughs> excludes a lot of the politics. It just deals with a lot, a lot of like what these human beings were were going through at the time. Yeah, I, th- I I find it very interesting. Even though I mean, there's a lot of bad ones, but this is certainly one of the better ones. Yeah, it's like Black Hawk Down is in that category as well. Uh, Iraq movies have a very specific like Jason Bourne sensibility to yeah, them. Yeah, oddly. Uh, a lot of handheld. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very gritty, but also like the color palette's very specific. Mm-hmm. And Hurt Locker does uh, fall in line with those. Uh, I, I just think Catherine Bigelow is the best director of war movies that's living. <laughs> um, I really like Catherine Bigelow, and I am sort of upset that she hasn't made anything in a while. I didn't see Detroit. Detroit's uh, solid. Yeah. yeah. I love Zero Dark Thirty. Me too. I know people don't care for it. I don't get that because I think it's her best film, probably. I think so too. I love Zero Dark. I've always like I've I whenever it's on, I watch it. It's I think great. Chastain is just remarkable in that movie. Yeah. That movie is just an an investigation, and it's just so awesome. Yeah, it's so much fun. I mean, definitely United States propaganda. Definitely like okay. made an argument in favor of uh, torture as a legitimate method of interrogation. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know. It was 2009. <laughs> it feels simpler times. The problem is, it feels so real, though. I mean, yeah. it feels so like brutally honest about it, and it just works for me. Mm. It's never, it's never dull. At oh, all. certainly not. Even though the movie is like a lot of people just talking about what they're going to do next in a, a government building, I'm just like, yes, give right. me more. I love it when she's just writing on the guy's uh, uh, his window. 100 days, 200 days, that kind of, and just knocking on it. It's great stuff. Yeah, and Bigelow, man. I like Bigelow a lot. I want more of her war movies. She sort too. of slowed down. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. Um, yeah. Uh, what do you think about The Hurt Locker? I think I love The Hurt Locker. I think I do, too. I think I do, too. It's not my favorite movie that she's done. But, but, but it's very I think it's pretty damn close to it. It's pretty good. It's a movie that's aged very well for me. Yeah, well, there's no reason for it to age poorly, honestly. It doesn't, especially the things that it talks about. Yeah. It talks about a lot of things with the the way, again, if you're breaking it down to uh, Jeremy Renner's character and the way he perceives his career, his strange career path in this, is that it's sort of new to me. It feels kind of fresh. Yeah, the idea of war being a drug was not something I'd ever considered. No. And I, I'm sure soldiers have considered it that way. I think they certainly have. Yeah. I don't think this movie is necessarily trying to depict the war as accurately as you possibly can. It's more about that in, internal psychological battle. And I mean, that happens a lot. But this particular idea that it focuses on is very well explored. I don't think a bomb expert would necessarily, you know, hold a guy on, in a car at gunpoint. Yeah, the way that he does—that's a very like cowboy moment. But I think you can when the movie explains it later, you can kind of identify with his his desire to do it as quickly as he does. Well, yeah, his desire to cheat death. Yep, he's he's addicted to the adrenaline. I well, I I know a lot of people who are like as soon as they cut. Uh, there are people who want to go into the field for various reasons, but one of them is because, yeah, I'm 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 tired of sitting around. I want to fight. Yeah, yeah. It, it's what it's what they've it, they trained me to be. I need it. But he's not reckless about it. I think the the person that you just described is someone that just wants to like a like a ape wants to just unleash their anger on the world. I don't think. Well, he's meticulous. He's a he's a craftsperson. He's he's like a psychopath. He's certainly a psychopath, but he's really fucking good at disarming bombs. Yes. And he has a heart. He has a conscience. Yeah. Um, and and yes, I, I think he has a lot of perverse desires. He's certainly reckless, but not in, like, in an ape sort of way, though. He does a lot of things that you should never It's not just do. catharsis. No. It's not like I'm going to shoot this terrorist because I want to feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's I 
weirdly have like this addiction to the process. Yeah. You know, it's actually, it, it's very artistic in that way. Mm-hmm. It's like, like a musician might be addicted to playing <laughs> piano or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or like a filmmaker is addicted to watching the same take of a movie over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, this guy buries himself in his work and doesn't want to leave it because he feels like that is his greatest contribution. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just a fascinating character, one that I have not seen in many war movies. Uh, Even and, still, not and, really seen it. And Renner? <laughs> exhibit A, B, and C right here. Why I love Jeremy Renner and why I'll always defend the guy. Like, he should continue to make movies like this, and then he became Hawkeye, and it ruined it. Yeah, I know. Because he's so good in this. He's so fucking good. He's so good at, like, pl- playing the, like, oddly unhinged guy, though. Yeah. Where it's like, you don't, he doesn't, like, s- jump out at you necessarily. It's just like, there's something wrong with you, dude. The town is the same way. Yeah. His but, performance in the town. And you just love him. I mean, I just think he's a charisma machine. Yeah. And everything that he, I mean, he even played Jeffrey Dahmer. I've met, I mentioned this before. But yeah. Like, the fact that he played that role, too, is kind of interesting. Right. Yeah. I, 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 this is, yeah, my favorite I think I've ever seen Jeremy Renner, aside from maybe the town, but these two. Yeah, they're just they're very much up there. I love that detail where he keeps a little piece of every bomb he's disarmed on his bed. Yeah, yeah, just because he loves the feeling. Like, oh my god, yeah, this killed me once. This almost <laughs> killed me once. It's like what? When they're punching each other, they're drunk in the room. And they're punching each other. It's like the just the perverse adrenaline y'all get from being here. Yep. I never want to experience it, but I kind of get it. Kind of <laughs> see where he's coming from. It's sort, well, it's sort of that like fight club logic where it's like, yeah. just to, just to be completely unhinged in every, you know, sort of raw animalistic way. It feels very satisfying. It's very freeing. Yeah. Yeah. It, you're, you're freed from like the conventions of the world and like having but, to go to the grocery store with your wife. One of my favorite shots in the movie is when, and this is something like, I think my dad actually pointed it out because I was very young at the time. I didn't fully understand like every little nuance that the film was getting at, but he actually said this. Um, we were watching the movie together and he's looking at all that uh, cereal and he's like, yeah, this is the problem with the United States. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. He's just like, yeah, like, like that guy just came from a place where there is fuck all in every direction and then you go into a grocery store like that and you have... Uh, literally a thousand selections too much cereal. cereal and it's like right it's it doesn't matter and he does the perfect thing where he's like he doesn't even think about it. he just grabs a random box and throws it in yeah and it's like yep right because in the desert you only get one option it's a oh it's such a brilliant shot kill or be killed is the only option there it's it's a, it's a war movie and that's my favorite shot in the movie yeah it says so much about the world both worlds right um, incredible tension building. This is literally a ticking bomb movie. Yeah. Uh, there, there's no metaphor here. You have ticking bombs around every corner. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bigelow has a way of, of shooting it where it's not played up. You know, it, it, she lets the bomb do the work. Mm. And that original scene, I, I, that original scene is just uh, the first scene rather is the most intense of the movie. Um, and we lose Guy Pierce in that scene. Spoiler yep. alert. And I think that sort of sets the tone for the movie of, yeah, this big movie star just got blown up. Any of these guys can blow up at any given moment. And they kind of do. Yeah. It's a way of like just elevating the stakes of the movie right off the bat. But like, it's not overly stylized. No, there's not a ton of music. Uh, the camera moves and there are some cuts, but like the subject matter does all the work. And I, I appreciate that about Bigelow's filmmaking. It's not, overly stylized because i don't think war should be overly stylized it kind of does the work for you yeah well if, if you're I, if you're placed in the right s- scenario sure yeah yeah i cer- certainly think that this does that there is some style i mean there's some slow motion shots yeah but, but with decent effect though it's certainly tastefully done i, yeah. ag- I agree 
Yeah. Uh, stuff with the kid is just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good though. And uh, yeah, Renner. But, no, Renner. Most things about this movie work for me. And Renner, Renner. Yeah. Every scene that he's in, <laughs> I forget. God damn. Right. Literally, he plays a soldier in this movie, but he is purposely not the guy with the gun. Yeah. And I see something like Born Legacy where he plays the man with the gun and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, he should be playing weird characters on the brink of insanity. He should not be playing the sexy action hero. Yeah. He gets it, though. It's it's like so tailored for him. I mean, every time I've seen him do it, I've loved it. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Hurt Locker. It's a dope, dope movie. I agree. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Help me out because now I'm lost here. What do you mean? What are we going to put in? Avatar. No, we're not. <laughs> not on my watch, we're not. There's, there is an argument to be made for Avatar, but I don't want to induct it. Good. So we'll cross it off. First movie eliminated Avatar. And The Hangover. I'm okay. Not, all I'm right. not even going to bother talking about The okay. Hangover. Okay. All right. So we have just crossed off the two most iconic movies of the year. That's great. And I will do you the favor of crossing out Fantastic Mr. Fox. That's fine. Uh, that will be not in contention. And uh, A Serious Man is just a movie that not enough people have seen. And uh, although it might be my favorite movie of the year, I I can't in good conscience put it in. Okay. That's fine. So there we go. Inglorious Bastards and The Hurt Locker. Mm-hmm. Two war movies. Help me. Help me. Mm. <laughs> help me, help me, help me. Mm. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You could... Eh, you can make the decision. I'll just leave it to you. Bye-bye. Well, that wasn't much help. It was <laughs> no help at all. It's the opposite of help. Look, I feel bad putting Tarantino in. Why? Because I always feel like I have a personal bias. That being said, we did not put Pulp Fiction in. We did put Reservoir Dogs in. We didn't put Pulp Fiction we in? We put Hoop Dreams in over Pulp Fiction. Oh, shit, you're right. We put Reservoir Dogs in. Okay. Um... So I always feel bad about that. I think it's the best script of the year. Yep, it is. I think it's more iconic than Hurt Locker is. It is. So um, it wins out. It win, certainly wins out on legacy, uh, impact. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's particular. I don't think any Tarantino movies, aside from the first couple, are impactful. Yeah, I mean, they they're mostly homage, right? There's maybe some impact with the Hurt Locker. Is the thing at least visually? I did see a lot of films kind of copy that. Yeah. Certainly impactful for Bigelow's career. Sure. And Renner's career. Uh, even Anthony Mackie, to an extent. <laughs> How funny that the two leads in this movie ended up becoming Hawkeye and the Falcon. <laughs> Something about me thinks that they didn't like that. Uh, <laughs> Hawkeye, the Falcon, and the villain from Iron Man 3 are all in. <laughs> that's right. Oh my God, that's right. Holy shit. What a waste. Yeah, too bad. That's okay. All right. Then, uh, but quality is the thing that I'm kind of hung up on. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So it's my call. You could, yeah. Honestly, you can make the call. I don't care. Uh, either one, it's like fine. All right. QT back in the Hall of Fame. All right. <laughs> Glorious bastards. All right, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a fine choice. Actually, uh, I think this is a movie that has aged pretty well. I agree. No, it's I, I, I certainly think it's probably aged better than The Hurt Locker. Not to say that that movie's aged poorly, but I mean, everyone everyone still watches and loves Inglorious Bastards. So that's good. Okay. Yeah. There we go. But we just inducted a film that I did not love. So yeah. 
you have to you have, have no fury <laughs> you have to be okay in the future if if i feel like we should induct a movie that you don't love okay okay that movie will not be directed by Wes Anderson, but uh, everything else fine. I have is okay. What if we do a Wes Anderson pod? Wes Anderson will never set foot in the movie Hall of Fame as long as I'm alive. What if I get autonomy? You will not. What if I do? I will not allow it. Well, you have in the past. Wes fucking Anderson is not getting in. I would. I, I think he deserves a spot. Good luck to you. Good luck no. finding that spot. No. I will make it my life's mission to keep him out of this. <laughs> you weirdo. Next week, uh, we're talking 1981. Yep. Let's draft it. Uh, you you may go first. Are we sticking to five this week? <sighs> There's a lot of good movies. Right, let's see how we're feeling. Okay. Uh, first one, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, well, okay. Now you've just made it harder on me because mm-hmm. I have not seen a lot of these movies. Do you want okay? Do you want me to make it? Well, easy? yeah, yeah. Go, well, do your thing, and I'll do the easy ones. Okay, that's fair. So let me pull it up. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, an, an American Werewolf in London, of course. Okay, and I'll I'll take Raiders for myself. Okay, and I'll give you the other obvious one that movie that I love. Um, see, this is sort of I don't I love the Evil Dead, but I don't know if I need to nominate it. First Evil Dead. Yeah. I mean, you should see it. I don't. It's not. It's it's not the best film of that year. But hmm. Escape from New York. Okay, I was going to do that one, but very well. <laughs> I'll take Mad Max. Okay, good. Road Warrior. I think it's just called the Road Warrior, isn't it? No, it's Mad Max too. Okay, America called it the Road Warrior, but in Australia, it's Mad Max too. Got it. Got it. Das Boot's very good. Hmm. There's a lot of interesting films here. Stripes, History of the World, Part One. <laughs> I love Escape from New York, man. Oh yeah, me too. The Great Muppet Caper. Don't make me. The Great Muppet Caper. Don't make me do it. Mm. Don't make me mm. do it. Mm. Yummy. There are so many werewolf movies. Holy shit! <laughs> Wolfen, The Howling. <laughs> My God, what the hell's going on with this year? Uh, uh, okay, so we got Raiders, American Werewolf, uh, not Evil Dead, um, and Mad Max. Yeah. Fuck. See, one of these I want to nominate and I haven't seen is uh, Gallipoli, which is apparently very good. Blowout is apparently very good. Oh, wait, I've seen Blowout. Blowout's good. Oh, this is a weird year. Oh, and Escape from so we have four. Shit. My Dinner with Andre. You keep making it hard on me here. We got one more. Um, if you want to do, damn. All right, so I think Chariots of Fire is an option. Um, I think Arthur is an option. Have you seen Arthur? Yeah, it's good. I don't know if it's the movie of the year though. History of the World Part One, Time Bandits. Haven't seen it. Um. Well, all right. Let's 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 just do Chariots of Fire then. Okay. Yeah, I have to watch it. Yeah, I think I haven't seen it either. But uh, I mean, yeah, we might as well nominate the best picture winner, right? Sure. I have a feeling I'm going to hate it. But yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's do it. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Weird, we weird list, but okay. 1981 Raiders of the Lost Ark an American Werewolf in London Escape from New York. My Dinner with Andre and Chariots of Fire. I wonder what's going to win. There is a conversation to be had for two, but it's oh, Mad Max, the, the Road Warrior, right? Did it, I say that? Yes, yes. Okay, it's fairly. It's I think it. Yeah, it's it's probably obvious, but we'll we'll talk about those two. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's it. I love y'all so very very much. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. TMT.media, Media, Too mm-hmm. Many Thoughts Media Yeah. Listen to everything that we're on. 
We do many podcasts, and some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Most of them are bad. Really bad. <laughs> I don't recommend listening to us. Like I said, you're finding yourself in the shadow realm, and you want to be as far away from us as you possibly can. I, I mean, dig through the rough, man, because there's a diamond somewhere. I haven't found it yet. But. There is sort of a perverse quality to running across just the worst of the worst, honestly, when you think about it. Yeah, we do a whole podcast about it. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. I find the experience mostly unfulfilling. But. <laughs> as will the listeners. <laughs> Uh, we'll be back next week with more shenanigans and until then I fucked your wife Larry I seriously fucked her that's what's going on see Marshak <laughs>